Hey, I'm Pastor Dave. Welcome to the Lighthouse. We hope the Lord speaks to you today by his word. God bless. Hey, brothers and sisters. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys, even if it does have to be virtually and it can't be in person. Uh, we're still super blessed that we're able to, to transmit our messages to you and that you guys are still uh, tuning in and joining us whenever you guys can. Uh, today, we're just going to be talking generally about the topic of love and, and what our motivation is when we, we talk about how we conduct ourselves with others and where that motivation comes from and, and how we can recognize that, uh, that feeling or, or, or that, uh, that desire to love one another, um, and specifically what scripture tells us about that and how we can proceed in such a way. Um, and so in order to introduce it, I, I actually read a short story online recently, uh, and it was really interesting that I thought it brought out a really good uh, meaning and moral and message. Um, and it went like this. Somewhere on a roadway street stood a little boy, about 10 years old. He was barefooted, standing before a shoe store, peering through the window and shivering at how cold it was. A lady approached the boy and said, Excuse me, young man, why are you looking so earnestly at that window? The boy looked up at her and replied, I'm sorry, I, I was praying that God would give me a pair of shoes. The lady, at, the lady at once took him by the hand and went into the store and asked the clerk to get a half dozen pairs of socks for the boy. She then asked if, he could give her a basin of water and a towel, uh, and he quickly brought them to her. She took the boy uh, to the back of the store, and removing her gloves, she knelt down, and she began to wash his feet, uh, which were dirty and had small cuts from walking around barefoot. And having washed them, she, she finished, and she dried them with a towel. By this time, the clerk had returned with socks. Placing, the, placing a pair upon the boy's feet, she also purchased him a pair of shoes. She placed the remaining socks in a bag and gave them to him, and she patted him on the head and said, No doubt you must feel more comfortable now. As she turned to go, the astonished young boy caught her hand, and, and looking up at her in the face with tears in his eyes, he asked, Are you God's wife? And that's a really cute, fun story, and, and it makes us feel warm inside, and, you know, uh, it, it, it holds that, that re really nice message of, how we should proceed and act in love, and, and it finishes with a, a cute little uh, ending. But um, when we look to the moral of this story, uh, we, we look to the woman who, who acted in such great love for this young boy who she had never met. And we begin to question, what was her, her motivation? And, and it's super interesting because in the story, she doesn't just give him money for shoes. In fact, she doesn't even just go in and buy him a new pair of shoes along with him. No, she... she took off his shoes, and, or, she, or she, she washed his feet, and she dried them with a towel in the same way that we read in scripture that Jesus did for his disciples. And, and she, she demonstrated such love to this young boy that she had never met. And, and we question why she would do such a thing. And then at the end of the story, I think we get our answer. Um, because the boy looks up at her, and, and it's funny, it's, it's anecdotal, and he asks, or he, he, he asks her, are you God's wife? Which is a funny reply. It, it sort of demonstrates how, at times, we can, we can show and we can demonstrate that uh, we are the body of Christ on earth. And in the same way that the boy mistook her for God's wife, uh, at times we can be that, that image of God in the world. Uh, uh, it's it's a, a fictional story, but it demonstrates very often how um, we can be at an exact place at an exact time. And, and just as the boy in the story was praying... It's not by chance that the woman came. Uh, in the same way, um, it's not by chance that we end up in the places that we do. Uh, sometimes it can be the answer to another person's prayers. But what it does require from this story is for the woman to perform an act of faith, or, or more specifically, an act of love. She demonstrated the love of God as shown by his humorous reply when he asks if she's God's wife. Um, but in that moment she was demonstrating Christ to that young man. I've heard this phrase before that says, you may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. And it's, it's an interesting saying because, uh, of course, we're not literally a Bible, and people can't literally read us, but what the, the phrase means to say is, some people may never end up picking up a Bible in their life, but they might come across a Christian. And in that time, I hope that uh, somebody who never picks up a Bible experiences from me the same love that they would receive or, or 
they would recognize the love of Christ uh, in me that, that they would read about in scripture. Um, and in, our, in this way, uh, it's, it's our indication that we are the body of Christ in this world. That we carry the light of the world, which is the truth of the gospel. But is that light the simple truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Right? Is, is that the gospel message that he simply died on the cross for our sins? No. That is part of the message, but we also have to recognize that there's so much that goes into that gospel message. It's not just about uh, a, a man who died on a cross, but it's also about the motivation that led Christ to that cross, which was that motivation of love that we're talking about and discussing today. We need to recognize that the message of the gospel, which has the power to save, needs to be delivered by Christians as missionaries in their own cities, at their own job sites, at, the, at their schools, wherever it is that our lives lead us, we need to recognize that we are missionaries of the gospel. And, and we don't just deliver that gospel message in any manner, right? We must carry that gospel message in the same motivation that led Christ to that cross, in love. Because if people hear the gospel message, but they hear it detached from that love, it has no meaning. That motivation that led Christ to the cross is something that we recognize and we feel and is demonstrated to us every single day of our lives as, as Christians. It says in 1 John 3.16, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now just to give you guys a little bit of context, this passage comes from, of course, where the Bible was written in ancient Israel. Uh, but it's written at a time which the early church was, was filled with this, this concept and this idea of martyrdom, in which it, it was looked upon highly for, for Christians to die for their faith. In fact, it says in scripture, uh, in, in many places, that it is, it is good and it is looked upon highly for Christians to die for their faith. And that's because of the context that it was written in, in ancient Israel, where people were being persecuted for their faith, and so many of them had to die. And, and many of them were put to death when they were spreading the truth. It provided the means for, for Christians to spread the gospel and spread the truth uh, in ancient Israel. It required sacrifice. Uh, and it was the sacrifice of believers that provided us with this opportunity to hear the gospel even today. And what the first Christians, these Christians who died for their faith, didn't recognize is they died and, and they did all of these things uh, without ever knowing or meeting us, but they did that in love of us. Now, they won't recognize that because they would never come to know us. Well, they will one day in heaven, but, but there's no way that they knew what they were doing would influence a country so far away uh, 2,000 years later. And in, in this way, what they did for the furtherance of the kingdom was them partaking in Christ's love for us. Now it says in gospel, the Gospel of John, not First John, but the Gospel of John, starting from chapter uh, 15, or sorry, in chapter 15, starting from verse 9, it's, it says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, many reading this passage will stop here, and they'll take that passage out of its context, which is understandable, right? If, if we stop here, the message is quaint. It's encouraging, it's wrapped up in a little bow. It's nice. Ceasing here, we have an easily digestible message of love, that Jesus in his life loved us, just as the Father loved him, and, and just as Jesus, um, and, and sorry, and just as the Father loved us, right? It's, it's circular, and it's nice, it's quaint, and it's wrapped up. Uh, and we should follow the, the command to love everyone in the same way. Um, but if we take this out of context, we believe what Jesus is talking about is, is kindness and generosity. Giving to the poor, praying for the sick and those who need it, which are, are good things. And they are things that we're told to do. But it's not the limitation of what Jesus is saying in, in John chapter 15. In fact, what he's saying is actually much more radical. 
You see, the context of John 15 takes place in Jerusalem, where, where Jesus is encouraging the disciples after he had warned them that he was going to be betrayed and taken. And, and the disciples, of course, knew that he would likely be put to death because of this. And, and so when you are reading John 15, uh, you have to recognize where, where this is being said. What, jo- what Jesus is saying to his, his disciples in this passage um, holds that same weight and that same meaning of, of the context that it is um, written in, in the same context that it is given in. We need to read this in light of what Jesus was going through, right? And what the disciples were going through. Uh, which is why when we continue reading uh, into the next passage, it, it says this. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life uh, down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my, in the name in my name, the Father will give you. And he closes with this. This is my command. Love each other. And when we begin to think now about that command that Christ is giving us, uh, when he says, uh, my love, my, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We begin to recognize that this command that Christ is telling the, the disciples, and, and in the same way, um, all believers, right? He's not just saying this to the disciples, although at that time he was just saying this to to his crowd of disciples, but it's recorded for our benefit as well, which means this also applies to us. In the same way that Christ has loved, uh, in the same way that Christ has loved us, which was a love that would do all things right up to the point of giving his own life, so people, uh, so his believers must love people in this way. Sacrifice is expected, not only for the ones we hold close, but all people. That's something else that we have to recognize in this passage. That Jesus isn't just saying, love your friends, love your family, love those who are close to you in the same way that I I loved you. But he's saying this for, for all people. Jesus didn't just die for his disciples. He didn't just die for his, his friends and his family and those he held close. Uh, but he goes above and beyond that in his love of his um, in his love of the world, right? When he is being nailed to the cross, he is dying not only for his disciples, but he's dying literally for the one who is nailing him to the cross. And he's saying to that person, I love you. Now, not only did Jesus die so that uh, those who might live, no longer live for themselves, uh, but for him. Sorry, sorry. Uh, it says this, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 uh, to 15, it says that he died for all, that those who might live uh, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now that passage is, is telling us that not only did Jesus die so that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but we read and, and it's giving us that message. That he died for all. That's the key part of this passage. It's not even necessarily that those who might live no longer live for themselves. But I feel like the most important four words of that passage is, he died for all. In a demonstration that not only do we have to love those who we're close to, but we have to love everyone in the same way that Jesus loved us. Which was that he died for us. Now in order to fully understand that that message of love, we're going to, do a, a, a Pastor Joel classic, which is dive into the Greek, and we're going to, to break it down, uh, the three basic forms of love in the Greek that we see throughout Scripture. There were actually four, but there are only three recorded in Scripture. And that is eros and philos and agape. Now, eros is a type of love that most closely resembles what we in our Western culture now view as romantic love. The word stems from the Greek word erotas, which translates to intimate love, but was also regarded with negative forms of of lustful desire or or feelings of self-gratifying romance, right? Those kind of relationships that are uh, super toxic and and they they, they only seek to harm the the ones who are in it. Um, That kind of love, the, the ones that are on again, off again, 
right? Those relationships that are, are all about me and it's not about the person that I'm with and, it, and it's very lustful. And uh, it, it, when we talk about lust throughout scripture, we know that that's something that is damaging. And so that was one of the forms of love that the Greeks understood. But then there was also philia, while, which was that while many uh, Greeks viewed eros as dangerous, they actually viewed this other type of love, which was philia, as the ideal love. And you might recognize what you're hearing when you hear the word philia, because in today's terms, that would resemble something like brotherly love. And that's super interesting because we know that the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And this word philia is about showing loyalty. It's about encouragement and kindness and showing appreciation and more of these other noble forms of love, uh, not involving sex or intimacy, but rather it's, it's this thing that we as believers recognize as an admirable form of love, but unfortunately it ends up closely related to the way that many understand the limitation of love. And, and while it's not wrong to show this type of love, philia, um, it's not the limitation. And many Christians will see that as the limitation of love, and they will show it through their charity, and they'll show it through their kindness to their friends, but they, they don't recognize that there's an even more profound type of love. And scripture actually talks about this type of love as the highest form and the one that we as Christians should aspire to. And it's called agape. Now, I apologize to anybody who I've already uh, talked to about agape love, but you're going to have to hear about it one more time because I think it's something that is so profound and so unique uh, to the way that we ought to be living our lives. Now, to the Greeks, uh, proper agape meant a general apathy or, or um, empathy. Um, sorry, yeah, it means a general empathy or, or loving kindness for all people. Though in the Bible, Christians are indeed expected to care for all in the name of Christ. Christianity actually takes this idea of agape love, uh, this general empathy and loving kindness for all people, and it actually takes it a whole step further. Biblical writers used God as the true standard for what it means to have love or, or true agape. Agape love in the Bible is love that comes from God. Now we have to recognize that God's love isn't sentimental. It's actually part of his character. And this is where it becomes profound and unique. Um, when we talk about God's love as an outpouring of who he is, as 1 John 4, 8 states, God is love. Or in the Greek, it would say, God is, in the Greek, agapos, or agape. Meaning that he is the source of agape love. Now, he, his love is undeserved. It's gracious and sacrificial. And when we see that really profound message of agape love, is when we see Christ die on the cross for us. This means that he cares for you uniquely, right? I said it wasn't sentimental, but he cares for you uniquely. But not, because, not in the same way that we care for our brother or our mother or our spouse. No, instead, he desires that all people would be in relationship with him, which means that he doesn't have uh, a favorite. He doesn't have a mother. He doesn't have a brother or a sister or a spouse or a best friend. And, and he doesn't see people in that way. Rather, he desires that he would be in relationship with all people in that profoundly unique way. That nobody holds a higher love from him. But he, he would go and he would die for anyone from the start. He doesn't need any sort of extra uh, sentiment. He just loves. And why is that? Because we as Christians can't understand that concept. Because we can't feel perfect love for a stranger or we don't feel love for a stranger in the same way that we do for our brothers and our mothers and that's because we are practicing in that way philia love which is like brotherly love it's familial it's 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 love that we would share with somebody that we are closely bonded with but agape isn't sentimental it's it's more profound and it's actually more admirable it's more it's something that we should aspire to even even more you see, in this way, agape, as we Christians have come to understand, means self-sacrificial love without any boundary, both in how it is expressed and who it is expressed for. 
And that's where we talk about this idea that is found in First John 4, 8, which states, God is love. In our own humanity, we seek to understand God. This is something that is very true. We seek to understand God by bringing him into, under, into terms that we can understand. God is powerful. And in scripture, especially in the Psalms, you can read passages with similes that try to describe who God is. Uh, in terms of things that we can understand. Because if we desire to understand who God is, of course we're going to go and we're going to try to describe him in terms uh, of this world that we would understand. A few examples being, our God is a consuming fire, which is written in Hebrews 12, 29. That's talking about God and his His power and his destruction uh, at times. Uh, he's, but, but also that he, he wants it all. He, he will consume it all. Um, and there's a few songs that have been written about this passage, about God being a consuming fire, because he, he's a jealous God, and he desires that we would uh, be a part of his, his, that we would be a part in relationship, that we would take relationship with God. Uh, and this is one of my own personal favorites, is, is Psalm 18.2, which describes God like a rock, and, and a fortress, and a shield, and the horn of our salvation, right? And in this way, we can understand God uh, in terms of a rock, very sturdy, a fortress which we feel safe in, a shield which protects, and the horn of our salvation, which when we hear it sounded, brings us relief and peace. But in this way, scripture is telling us that we should not understand God in the motivations of, of things of our own understanding when we read this, this statement, God is love. Because when we read this, what we think of is, oh yeah, I, I love I know that sentiment. I know that feeling. I know what love is. But rather, what this passage is telling us is we need to understand ourselves in light of him. Because this passage says, God is agapos. True love is the nature of God and is something that has been shared with us. Now, we don't understand the concept of love through the nature of man. And that's something that's really interesting. Because when we talk about love, we're often talking about either eros or philia, which are these sentiments that we hold for one another uh, based on how close we are or, or how, how deeply we feel about somebody. But this isn't what it's talking about when it says that God is love. Rather, it's saying that God himself is the epitome of true, perfect love in its very essence. That his motivation is not desiring to be loving, that he doesn't desire to be loving towards you. That he doesn't uh, desire that, that he would hold a deeper feeling of love for us. Rather, it's his very character. It's his very nature to love. And that it, it doesn't fluctuate. There's no uh, days where he loves you more or loves you less. Uh, because it's not something that he feels. It is something that he is. Right? When we talk about the character and the nature of God, this is something that can be complex and, and challenge the way that we think about God because we know that he doesn't feel love towards us, but rather that in his very nature, we know that he is good, we know that he is love, we know that he is power, we know that he is just and truth. And in these ways, we know these things to be good because they are of God. These things that are of God mean goodness because we aspire to them. Now that is complex because it deals with love not in the way of human understanding, so it's hard for us to understand uh, what it means. We inherited eros and philia from, from the Greek understanding uh, in our own Western culture's way of, of talking about romance and brotherly love. Uh, but rather, this concept of true love is, is a kind that would sacrifice everything for someone we don't even know. It's the very character of God, and it's shared with us through the sacrifice of Christ, but it's also put into our very image as something to aspire to. And when we become believers, we begin to experience this new type of love that we have never experienced before. We recognize, we recognize that our motivation to love uh, as Christians switches. It doesn't become about desiring to be fulfilled in a relationship. It doesn't uh, become about desiring that our, our brother or our mother would know that we care about them. 
but rather we recognize that we don't receive anything in return. But we desire that all people would feel that love, not just the people that we care about, although we, of course, care about those people and we want them to be saved as well. But we recognize that something that is so good and so transformational in our lives is something that we would hope that everybody in this world gets to share and to feel. It's the inheritance of joy and peace and hope and grace that we as Christians experience every single day when we, ex- when we realize that we are saved, that we get to partake in this love of Christ, dying for others as Christ did for us. Now returning to, to verse 12, we know why people would stop here. Uh, in, in verse 12, this is uh, going back to, to um, the, the uh, passage in First John, uh, sorry, the Gospel of John starting in chapter 15. Uh, we, we, we're going back to, to John 12. We know why people would stop here or simply ignore the portion about dying. They, they, they would stop at that, that section because they recognize that when you talk about dying for, for others, that we would love like Christ does and that great, greater love has no man than this than to die for their brother. We don't want to. Why? Well, it's simple because it's jarring to hear. <clears throat> now, if we go back a few sermons uh, that I preached, um, I told you about the intentional writing of Scripture, that at times they are attempting to, to write with a style that would be jarring. Now, why would they do that? Um, and I explained, because this is interesting. We should actually desire to die. And, and why is that? Well, it comes specifically, again, from the context of these ancient Israelites who believed it was better to die than to live. This, this concept of martyrdom was very, very common, not only because they desired to, to deepen their faith or, or to express this, this type of perfect love, but recognized that, that in ancient Israel, life on earth wasn't necessarily arguably beneficial to the believers. They were undergoing the persecution of, of Rome, and they would have been suffering experience, or they would have experienced heavy suffering and subjugation and persecution every single day to the point where their lives were miserable. The things that they would be experiencing all the time would have been so tough that it would have felt like it would have been freeing when they hear this gospel message that on the other side of this life, we get to go to heaven and we get to be, we get to be with God. And it gets to this point that is super counter to what we would experience in Western culture, where Paul has to write to the the Christians. And what's interesting is Paul even shares this sentiment with the other believers that that he longs to die, but he knows that he must remain. And he has to remind these Christians that to live was Christ, and life on earth uh, was, was not necessarily... Uh, beneficial uh, to the believers, so he also write to die, to die is gain. But what does he mean in that first half when he says to live is Christ? We recognize that uh, if, if heaven is greater uh, than, than the subjugation and the captivity that the ancient Israels were, ancient Israelites were living in, uh, then we recognize that, of course, they would want to escape. To die is gain. But Paul writes to live is Christ. Why does he use the word Christ? It, he doesn't say good, although our lives are good and they're a blessing from God. He, li- he writes to live as Christ. And that's very intentional because what he's saying is for the same reason that Christ came to earth, uh, we live, which is that we, Christ came to serve. Remember that Christ coming to earth was not for his benefit. This was God sending his son to earth, being apart from the father. He, he, he was on earth and he, didn't, he wasn't in heaven where, where we know that it is so much better than what we have on this side. And so Christ coming to earth in and of itself was him humbling himself, putting off his deity and, and, and sacrificing every single day to serve humanity. And in the same way, Paul's writing to, to the ancient Israelites and saying, we have to be like Christ who came for us. He humbled himself and he sacrificed every single day 
We can't all just be rushing to die and go to heaven. We have to remain and we have to live uh, because we need to spread the gospel and we need to spread the love of Christ. Now we in our, our modern Western context find this to be so jarring, which is why when we're reading that, that verse 12 where it says that greater love has no man than this, uh, greater love has no man than this than to die for his brother. Um, it sounds so jarring because we don't want to give up our lives. We, we find our lives to be generally pretty enjoyable or, or generally pretty gratifying. Uh, and we live in a, in a life that's so much better than the ancient Israelites had it. Although at times, uh, I know that during this, this pandemic, I've, I've thought, man, like if, if God's coming, if this is God coming, come now because heaven would be so much better than what we're going through right now. But I don't hold that sentiment every single day. Um, now we don't want to give up living to die, or we don't want to give up living in order to die for others. That's the reason that we find that passage so, so jarring. It's because we've been taught that the, the value of our lives is living so that we can actually um, not only uh, share the word of God and not only participate in his mission, but to enjoy our lives. Because it says often in scripture that God wants us to enjoy our lives as well. But in this passage, we can actually learn something really, really profound from, from the ancient Israelites who are so different from us uh, that to live is Christ. And that we, we recognize that on this side of the world, uh, or on this side of eternity, uh, what we're doing is participating in Christ's sufferings, and we are blessing those who are around us. As such, we recognize that, that our lives in the same way uh, given to us so that we can help others come closer to Christ we know that Paul is encouraging us to live our lives in such a way that is, is honoring to God. Um, what, we are, what we are interpreting in Christ's command is, is not that, that we should be dying. Uh, when, when Christ says, greater love has no man than this, than to die for his, his brother, he's not saying every single time you meet your brother, die for him right? Sounds crazy, right? He's not telling every single Christian to die every single day because we'd run out of Christians. We'd run out of Christians pretty quickly. Um, rather, what he's saying is, no, don't immediately jump right to the point of, of dying for your brother uh, in, in this pure act of, of unadulterated love, um, but rather in all things that we would do whatever it takes to love our brothers, and when I say brothers, I don't mean just the men. What I mean is our, our, is our family of, of God. So I guess greater love has no man than this than to die for his brother or sister. But what Christ is saying is, is don't just die. Don't just sacrifice your life immediately. What you have to do is do every single thing up to the point of death to demonstrate to your brother or sister the, the love of God, this agape love. Even for a perfect stranger, right? It says brother, which makes it feel close. But what it actually means is any man or any woman, love them. As I loved you, when I was nailed to the cross, I didn't just die for my disciples. I didn't just die for my friends. I died for the man who nailed me to that cross. We have to do whatever it takes to love them right up to the point of dying. And if I haven't made this clear, I thought a very good way to, to explain it would be to sort of give you a spectrum, right? And so if we think this is the absolute maximum, this is dying for somebody, there's a spectrum. So, so somewhere around here is the beginning. Somewhere in the middle is buying a coffee for somebody. And some, somewhere around here is forgiving the man who just cut you off in traffic, right? Or, or, or right around here, there's this young boy who's on a street and he has no shoes. And what he requires is for somebody to come along to take his hand and to wash his feet. Not just to buy him the boots, which is somewhere around here, but to wash his feet and clean the cuts and put a warm pair of socks on his feet and tie up his shoes for him. And in that moment, he will recognize the love of Christ. She didn't have to die for him, but in that moment, she did everything that she could for that young man and she demonstrated love. You see, if we understand that God is love, and Jesus' command to us is to love as he did, we know that loving others means doing all things 
up to the point of death. Then we can begin to understand that love covers all things. So everything that's within this spectrum, every single act that you could ever do to demonstrate this perfect sacrificial love, Christ is calling you to it. Every single thing, he wants it to cover, he wants it to envelop all of our relationships, that perfect agape love. That as we as Christians would put away the, the things of, of brotherly love or the things of uh, eros love but, and only experience agape love, which is so much more freeing and fulfilling and joy bringing and purpose bringing, it's so much greater. So then what can we take from this? We are not only called but commanded to present a love that Christ first demonstrated. A love for sinners uh, who would even seek to nail you to a cross. What is love then? Love is the act of doing all things, bearing all things, and presenting a love that would sacrifice up to that point of death, as Christ first did for us. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, that true agape love can be seen in these things. That love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This doesn't just go for your spouse. This doesn't just go for your family members and friends who, who, who do not know Christ. We must love even perfect strangers, even our enemies in this way. We must be patient. We must be kind, not envy. We do not boast. We are not proud. Uh, and, and everything that this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says about what true agape love is, is for all people that we come in contact with. This passage uh, was used in, in my marital counseling, counseling, and I know it's something that is often talked about uh, when we talk about our marriages, which is true. Husbands and wives love each other. Please love each other in this way. But also remember that it's not just for your wife. It's not just for uh, your friends and your family. It's for all people. The, the clerk that you see at the grocery store, it is for the person who is, is homeless and on the street begging for money, every single person in this world requires that love that you received as a free gift as well. Remember that, that none of us have earned that love, that it's freely given, and it was given to you as well. This doesn't just go for, for the, so we recognize this doesn't just go for the people that we love, but even before this, in, the, in the, that chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, it starts in verses 1 to 3, and it tells us all that we need to know about how important love is. It says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have uh, but do do not have love I gain nothing. Without love the church is dead. And the purpose with which I I bring you uh, which I bring all of this before you today is this that as believers we know a time is coming when God is going to, to loose the chains that have been holding us back from serving in the capacity that we desire. I promise you, this pandemic is going, uh, has been going on for some time, um, but I promise you that we have victory over this bleak trial in Christ who, who breaks all of our chains. I caught myself the other day thinking that this was just my reality, that, that wearing a mask and... and being in lockdown, away from all of the people whom I love. This was just the reality that I came to expect. And then I remembered that I have victory in Christ over it. So for as long as I, I remain in this situation, I know that I have victory. I don't have anything to fear. And, and there's nothing that can tear me down. And I have victory even while I'm in lockdown. 
but I also remember that this is under the, under the will of God. If this was not God's will, then he would lose it. And he, if he desires to do so, he will lose it. And he doesn't want uh, Christians uh, to always feel that's the same despair that, that can come when, when you are alone. And so we believe that there is coming a time um, when the, the chains of this pandemic, when, when the things are going to be loosed. This is not our reality. This is not everything that we have to live for. There is a hope coming. There is something better for us coming uh, on, on this side of eternity as well. We will be allowed to be in the world again. And I know so many of us have been praying for this situation that we are trapped in right now. Um, and in our pursuit of, of sharing the good news, uh, we can sometimes grow sidetracked. Um, and, and we hope that, that uh, the, the pandemic will, will, will end and the lockdown will end and we'll be able to be one with another again and that we'll also be able to go into the world again. Uh, and we, we are praying and believing for this. We truly are here at Lighthouse. Um, but we, we sometimes, in our, our pursuit of ministry, grow sidetracked. So we know that when we are going to be going out, we know that we're going to be going out in power. So we've been praying for revival. We've been praying for uh, these, these chains to be broken. And, and we've been praying all throughout January, uh, praying and fasting for what is to come, knowing that uh, we're making an eternity of difference. But we have to remember that when we get that opportunity, when God breaks those chains and, and, and the gates open and we can flood forward into the mission, we have to remember not to grow sidetracked. We are seeking the, the Holy Spirit. We are seeking the empowerment of the Holy Spirit uh, for, for our mission that we are heading out into when these gates open. But we're not just seeking that empowerment of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. Or, or to give us the wisdom of the words that, that we need to share with that coworker when we finally get to, to speak with them again in person, or, or our friend when we go over to their house. We're not just doing these things uh, in, in the scope of a mission. We must remember that, that uh, in the same way that we have spent so much time uh, pouring into the intercession and prayer for a move of God, we can't forget that what this world needs for its transformation is the love that transforms us. So let me encourage you that the light that we are, sh are seeking to shine into the world is this, the deposit of love that Christ first stored up in us. These are counter to our culture, especially right now in times of darkness, in times of difficulty. It's something that, that we as believers needed before we were saved uh, and it's the void in the, in the lives of those who don't yet know Christ. They are longing, they're seeking for something, something that brings purpose, something that is so much greater. And that is that love that Christ has for us, that he died on the cross and that he, he forgives us of our sins and that he, we can enter into that love, enter into that relationship with God. Because aside from that, we can't. But we're ta when we're talking about what we're looking ahead to, what we're looking forward to, we talk about this prophecy and this vision that, that was given to Pastor Dave for, for 2021. And what we did in, in, in January was we, we prayed and we interceded. And what, we got, we, we, what he received for 2021 was this message. That there's going to be a great moving forward. That we're going to have to move forward boldly. And we're going to have to move forward and, and bring the truth. And we, what he received was we need to share our light. We cannot snuff out our light. We need to spread light into this dark, dark world. Now, let me encourage you. We need to recognize what that light is. It's not just a gospel message that saves, but it's a gospel message that saves with the motivation of love. So it doesn't just matter what you're saying, but how you're saying it and how you're doing it. All of the eternal impact that that intercessory prayer and, and fasting that we participated in through our January and our vision moving forward as God provides the means, we know that God is going to provide that opportunity for a great revival. But it will be void. Let me, let me tell you this. It will be void without love. We can have the greatest of visions and we can speak in many tongues, etc. 
But without love, it will all fall to the wayside. As God is love. Remember this. God is love. Any act that, with, that is without love is not of God. And, we, we, and I must remind you what that love is. So if we know that God is love, and we know that these actions require love, what kind of love does it require? Agape love. That self-sacrificial love that Jesus came to exemplify. Uh, it is a love that voluntarily, vo- voluntarily suffers inconvenience. It voluntarily uh, experiences discomfort. It volunteers self-sacrifice. We labor and toil for even to the point of death. We will seek to benefit one another with exper- without expecting anything in return. We are called to agape love through Christ's example. It says in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, we're closing with this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, this abundance of love should not be earned in the relationship of our closest friends, right? It shouldn't be uh, how generous you feel you, you can be or, or how generous you feel you have to be to get somebody saved, right? In any situation, it's, it's not about how generous you, you must be for somebody to be saved. It's about how much you can readily offer. It's boundless. Be ready to offer boundless love up to the point of death for another person. doesn't mean die for them, but it means be prepared to. A perfect stranger, anything on in that spectrum, he wants all forms of love. He wants anything you can do right up to the point of death, even for a perfect stranger. If we desire to see revival, if we desire to see our loved ones, or, or anyone for that matter, whether we love them or not, although we of course long for our loved ones to be saved. If we long for them to come to Christ, it requires us to volunteer a love for people that suffers all things, bears all things, and is beyond your bounds. It gives beyond your own boundaries because it's without boundary, uh, both in, in its uh, subject. The boundary is not whom you love or who you care for. The boundary is are they a person that Christ desires to, to enter into relationship? And the answer is always yes. And then the question becomes, how much do I have to love them? And the answer is, to the point of death. Do all things that you can to love that person. That op- this, this, uh, let me encourage you, and we're closing with this. The opportunity is coming when God will be sending us out. This is just as Pastor Dave uh, said, and this is this is. Uh, what we are reading uh, in scripture, it tells us that, uh, expect that we are in the last days. Um, we must return to a heart of love for those who are seeking to evangelize uh, and, and those that we are seeking to minister to um, until we are prepared to sacrifice and bear all things uh, for those people. We, we we're not going to see that eternal change. We're not going to see revival. We're going to close in prayer, um, but it's, it's been so good, and, I, and I'm so thankful for, for this message uh, of, of, of love, uh, because I love each and every single one of you, uh, whether I know you or not, and in the same way, Christ loves you. Whether you, you belong to this church or whether you've stumbled across this, this sermon, Christ loves you. We're going to pray. Um, and, and for those who, who do not know Christ, uh, this will be an opportunity to enter into that love and to enter into uh, this, this love that, that not only forgives you of your sin, but it also brings purpose, it brings meaning, brings joy. Uh, it is something that, that is stored up in, in each and every single one of us, and it's something that you have to experience, uh, this freedom from sin, this freedom from the things of this world, and something that brings an eternal love and an eternal joy and, and uh, will, will save you from, from all things. Not just your sin, but it frees you from, from the, 
the boundaries and the, the, the binds and the bondages uh, that, that sin bring and, and this separation from God, uh, which separates you from this, this perfect love that I promise you, you will experience. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for, for this day, uh, which we are coming to an opportunity uh, in which we can, we can come into deeper relationship with you. And for those of you who do not know Christ, pray along with me. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you that you died for my sins. I thank you for who you are uh, and, and who you desire, uh, which is me. Lord, I pray that you would uh, come into my life. Lord, that you would free me from my sin. Lord, that you would uh, bring me new life. And Lord, that uh, I, I would s seek to know you all of my days. And Lord, that I, I would come to know this eternal purpose and this eternal love uh, that was spoken of. Lord, I just pray for, for each and every single individual uh, that, that has watched this video. And I pray for those also who haven't. Lord, that, that you would have grace, that you would have love for each and every single one. And Lord, in the days that are coming, uh, when you are going to loose these binds and you are going to allow us uh, to, to begin loving one another again without any, uh, without any lockdown, without any restriction, oh Heavenly Father, that we will be able to share this love without the, the bondage and the, the binds that are being placed upon us. Lord, I just pray that, that you would relinquish the, this bondage from us, that we might be able to love again, just as you loved us. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for, for joining. Uh, it's truly a blessing, each and every single opportunity that we get to share with you guys, and that so many of you are, are continuing to check in um, and, and watch these videos. Uh, let me tell you, it makes an eternal impact, both in your life and, and in the life of this church and the, the life of the body of Christ. Um, these things that we're dealing with are eternal, and so we're so thankful for you. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, we love you. Hey, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. Just want you to know you can find full live stream services on our website, lighthouseniagara.com.